0: We know that God is the one. We've talked about this the last few weeks. We know that the desire to have this relationship with the Lord always starts where? With God. We we did not start out seeking Him. He sought us. We don't naturally desire His presence. He desires our presence. We didn't create ourselves in His image. He created us in His image. It always starts from the Lord. The Lord is the one that gives light and we respond to it. We know that this is the case in every single person. No person in and of themselves has any righteousness for all we are like sheep and have gone astray, right? We've turned everyone to his own way. There's no single individual that wants to, by their natural desire, hey, I really want to follow the Lord. Adam and Eve didn't even want to naturally follow the Lord. Their nature was to walk away. But God is the one that calls us to Himself. So the covenant always begins with Him. It begins with Him. And aren't you glad it begins with Him? You need a chief cornerstone if a building's going to stay there, right? You need the covenant to begin with God. It must start with God because you and I would never keep a covenant if it didn't start with God. But He's the one that lays the foundation. Of course, He is the foundation. He's the one that woos us to Himself, draws us to Himself. But once we're in relationship, we have a responsibility to the covenant. Does that make sense? So for example, I might you know you take the marriage relationship. If a man desires that so-and-so would be his wife, he may court her, he may woo her, he may uh, if it's a godly thing, may really demonstrate selfless love, self-sacrificing love, that kind of man that would make the husband that this woman might want to be. But once she agrees to enter into that covenant, there's responsibility on both sides, even though he may have been the one that originally began to say, I would love to marry you someday. Why don't you pray about it? I'll pray about it. And we continue to seek the Lord. So there may be one who starts out first reaching out, which is what God did with us. But when we agree, yes, Lord, I need to be saved. Cleanse me. from. We enter into this covenant relationship and I'm speaking with now with our relationship with Jesus Christ because Israel's relationship with God is a foreshadowing of our relationship with our savior right we would have a same uh, we would have the same kind of relationship Jesus would be our counselor our protector our savior the one who would lead us, the one who would guide us. He would be the good shepherd, right? Leading us beside still waters. So the Lord would be the one that we would enter into the same relationship, very similar to that which Israel was in with God. Now, in this taking notice, we see in verse 10, verses 10 and 11, we see what starts with God. Behold, I make a covenant. Not you, not Israel. The Lord says, I establish the covenant. And we know He established the covenant with Israel that He would make a great nation of Abraham. that all the Just like the sand of the sea, uh, seashore and just like the stars of the heavens, that the Lord would establish this relationship or this covenant with Abraham and He would bless. But then we know that these are the descendants of Abraham and they now are part of that covenant. But the Lord said, I make a covenant before all your people, all the people, Those of you that had recently worshipped the golden calf and had failed miserably, Aaron, you had kind of just thrown in the towel and were weary and you blew it too. But all of you I make I renew. What the Lord has said, I'm renewing the covenant. Right? We have to renew our minds daily according to Romans, don't we? We have to renew that passion with the Lord. Many have lost that passion. They're, they're, They're not that interested in the things of the Lord. We have to go back to the beginning. We've lost our first love. Jesus writes that to the very first church, doesn't He? That that is a, a critical element that we have to a, recognize the covenant relationship and renew it. So, But the Lord is saying here, behold, I make a covenant, and what will the Lord do? Well, I'll do marvels. Well, that's good to know because you and I aren't capable of doing marvels. The things that man thinks are marvels aren't really marvels to God. Because the Lord says the wisdom of man is what to God? Foolishness. The smartest person on the world God's not impressed with. That meat that's in their head, God made it. He's not that impressed. If you accumulate billions like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, God's not impressed. He's like, big deal, I gave, I gave Solomon more than that. Look what it did to him. He was a mess. The more he got. God says, I'll do marvels that have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And of course, God has already done things in Israel that had never been done in any nation and will continue, provided that they say, yes, Lord, we want to remain in the covenant. Remember that the covenant relationship is conditional. It's conditional. Now, God will love them unconditionally, but if they say, we don't want you... And God will say, all right, you're free to go. You're outside of my protection. You can do it on your own. If you want to get carried off into Babylon, fine. If you want to get carried off by the Medes and Persians, if you want to get carried off by Assyria, if you want to get you know, wasted away battle after battle to the Philistines or gone and down the list, God says, you can do that. I wouldn't recommend it. I don't know why you would want that. But if that's what you want, God still offers everyone the free will choice. So the relationship we enter into, God keeps his promise. And if we will commit to him, he'll help us keep our promise to him. But we have to respond with a humble heart. But he'll do marvels such as have not been done on the earth. All the people who you, uh, um, all the people will see the work of the Lord, they'll know it was God's doing. They'll know the battles that they win. They'll know that the victories that are won will be the Lord's. For I will do an awesome thing with you. With you. You know, God will use us. All of us are but dust and ashes. You understand the prayer that Abraham prayed. And we, uh, we're just clay pots. Uh, we fade away rather quickly. Uh, even the greatest athletes, they have a very short shelf life of, of, of excellence. You know, Maybe, maybe the greatest is a 10-year shelf life of, of high, high, high performance and after that they fade like everybody else does. But the Lord will use flawed, maybe sick, maybe elderly, maybe weak, doesn't matter what it is, whose strength is made perfect He'll use it in us, He'll do an awesome thing through us. The question is, will we be yielded to do it? In verse 11, he goes on to say, observe what I command you this day. I am driving out. You know, we can't drive out the enemies in our life. We can't drive out the giants that Satan brings against you. If you're here us Wednesday night, we we're talking about all the fiery darts. Satan just keeps pulling one after another out and firing them. You cannot defeat them in your flesh, nor can I, but God can drive them out through our faith in Him tells us here, in essence, to take notice. Take notice that I am the one that is your protector. Do you understand? And not only do you understand, do you believe it? Israel. God is saying to Israel, do you believe that I authorize the covenant? Yes, Lord, we believe that. Do you believe that I will do an awesome thing in you? Yes, we believe. Do you believe that I alone will drive out all your enemies before you? Yes, we believe. Okay. Okay. We can ask the same question. Do I believe that Jesus has died on the cross and has risen from the dead and has conquered Satan, sin, and death? Yes, I believe that, Lord. If you believe that, do you believe that I will never leave you or forsake you, that I will be the one to go before you and I will pave your way through this world? Not easy. In this world you'll have tribulation, but do not fear I've overcome the world. Do you believe that? Yes, Lord, I believe. Do you believe that I will keep you And protect you and seal you until the day of redemption. Yes, all right, then maintain covenant relationship with me. Take notice of it, understand it, and believe it. Jesus, we understand, uh, is for us the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. But look, God is the one, He makes the covenant here. Uh, the word covenant here means berith in, in Hebrew. It's an agreement or a pledge. Now, unlike our pledges, God keeps them. Amen? He keeps His pledge. If God pledges it, you know that if it goes wrong, He's not the one that moved. He'll keep His pledge. What does He promise? We see all these things here. Now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter, uh, a couple of places, We know in Matthew 26, also in Mark 14, Luke 22, all three of those chapters, Jesus mentions that when He has His disciples there for what we call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, uh, He talks about that the new covenant is in His blood. The new covenant is blood. In His blood, the new covenant is established for His children and His church, which are one and the same. This is a family, right? We're the children of Jesus Christ. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And the covenant is established by the Lord's own witness through His blood. That's why we partake every month of the Lord's Supper, this new covenant. But Jesus said similarly, God said, I will do a great work, awesome work, marvelous work through you. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Now, I've got to tell you, I've read that verse many times. I still do not understand the depth of that verse to this very day. How about you? Don't let anyone tell you they understand every single depth of that verse because I can't really comprehend what human being has ever done greater works than Jesus. When we get to heaven, we'll understand what Jesus fully meant by that verse. I believe we can understand an inkling of the verse now because there's enough wisdom and insight to understand that all the things that we, if if, if someone flawed like me preaches the gospel and some other flawed individual receives and gets saved, that is marvelous beyond my comprehension. And weirdly enough, my comprehension won't comprehend how marvelous it is. I'll kind of think it's no big deal. When I get on the other side of heaven, on the other side in heaven, God will show me, you had no idea what miracle that was, that I could take this ash and clay and speak to this ash and clay, and you brought something to them and they came alive. That a dead man spoke to a dead man, and the other dead man says, I hear and I want to get saved. So they're more marvelous than we can comprehend, the works that we do, because Jesus was bringing people to life. He only raised the dead and healed the sick, but spiritually He was raising the dead all the time. But He says, I'm going to send you the helper who's going to live in you. The Spirit of God lives within me. If the Spirit of God didn't live within me I'd have no hope to be useful whatsoever. The children of Israel the only way they were going to have any hope was they had to plead let your presence go with us, let your presence go with us. Remember, God was—he threatened to remove his presence. If the Holy Spirit removes his presence from me, I've got a serious problem, don't I? But if the Holy Spirit remains present, I can do the works of Jesus. I don't do them. I actually don't do them at all. The Holy Spirit does them through me. God's just saying, I'll use the shell of your body in essence. I'll use your flawed mouth that talks about really unimportant things at times to also speak about really important things. Isn't that amazing? Like Israel, though, He's sending them into hostile territory. Nothing that God ever does with His children, His family, is easy. He never gives them just a bowl of lucky charms, does He? Everything's just kind of fruity and simple and easy, right? Get out of Egypt, We we most certainly are going to a five-star hotel. No, you're going to a desert. Nothing makes sense a lot of times because God uh, wants us to go beyond our senses and walk in the Spirit. Because your senses are fleshly and carnal. They look for the path of least resistance. God's going to send us into enemy territory just like Israel in Matthew 28 20, Jesus said, and you have to love this. And you have to re-preach it to yourself. When you think it's not happening, go back and read it. And that's what faith is. That's the shield of faith we talked about on Wednesday. You can live by fear or you can live by faith. Right? Either fear God or you can fear everything else. Matthew 28, 20, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. That's a long time. Your life is short anyway, and Jesus said, I'm going to be with my church till the end of the age. That's the end of the thousand year reign of Christ, and then of course it will go on for all eternity. To the end of the age, all the way to the end of the earth, until God creates a new heaven and a new earth, I'll be with you and even beyond that. But he was putting it in terms that maybe we could understand. The end of your age would apply as well. The end of my age, he'll be with us. That's good to know because a lot of times we forget He really is with us, right? We begin to doubt. We think, oh, maybe God's not with us after all. That would make Jesus a liar, wouldn't it? So who's lying, our feelings or Jesus? Right? Who's lying? When we think He's not really with us or He's not going before us or He's not willing to drive out our enemies, who's lying, our feelings or Jesus? You have no other choice but to call God and say, you're not telling the truth. Because Jesus said it once. He doesn't even decide to say it, verily, verily. He only has to say it once. He's good for His Word. He doesn't change His Word. He is with us. He was going to go before Israel. They had the promise. God said, I will drive out the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, I'll drive them all out. You will not be able to do it in your own strength, but I will do it for you. Isn't that amazing? He even, sent, he even sent wasps to drive people out. Only God could do that. I don't care how good of a soldier you are, if a bunch of wasps start stinging you, you start running. I'll hit them with a grenade. What are you going to do? They're everywhere. I'll shoot, at, I'll shoot at them with an arrow. Isn't it funny? God can use something that small to mock a strong man. A strong army. A swarm of wasps will smoke the Navy seals in a New York minute. Isn't that amazing? And anytime God says do it, just like with Jonah and the fish, the animal will do it. Anytime, speak, donkey. Move wasps. Swallow him, fish. Right? Bear, attack these mockers. See that in the Old Testament. Anytime God says that the animals do it, God talks to people, they say, I don't believe that. I'll take my chances. But we believe that God is the one that goes before us. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, another promise of Jesus. The question is, do we believe it? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. It's not a question of if it will happen, Jesus said it will happen. Those of you that are really my witnesses are going to receive power. Those of you that are not my witnesses, well that's a different question now, isn't it? Those that are His witnesses will receive His power. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and a lot of times we think hell is prevailing it's not isn't that great to know it's not it's not prevailing against jesus and his church it may be prevailing against people that don't want the lord but it's not prevailing against the lord take notice take notice as who is the one that sanctifies the covenant Who is the one that keeps the covenant? Who is the one that protects the covenant? Who is the one that goes before us, is our rear guard? Who is the one that the only one that can take on our enemies? It's the Lord Himself. What about this next section? Take heed, verse 12, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Oh, we have a different covenant introduced here, don't we? God says take heed. At some point you might decide to swap covenants you might decide that their covenant looks better in your flesh than your covenant. Because with your covenant, you're like ASAP, looking on and saying, they have lots of stuff. They don't get sick like we get sick. No one laughs at them at work. They get invited to all the best barbecues and sporting events. All their kids get into the best schools. They get promotions when we don't. They live longer than we do. They don't have arthritis. They don't have migraines. They don't have this. They don't have that. And then God showed Asep the end and said, Do you really want their end? Is that what you're really asking for? Are you asking for their finished product? Because their finished product is eternity in hell. But your finished product is with me forever, even past the end of the age. This is why Jesus told us to lay up treasure where? In heaven. Looking to him, the author and finisher of it. You start looking at everybody else's lifestyle and coveting their lifestyle, you will change covenants. You'll say, the blood covenant of Jesus just doesn't satisfy me. But the covenant of stuff, the covenant of more, the covenant of all the things that the world has to offer, that looks more attractive to me. You know, God sanctifies the covenant, but we then have to consecrate ourselves to it. Do you understand that? God sanctifies it, establishes it and sanctifies it, but we then have to consecrate ourselves to it. We have to choose to take up our cross and follow Him. That's, that's consecrating our life to Him, that's laying down our life. To him, to be a seed planted in the ground that we would die to ourselves, that we would grow to him. It's not that we do that to be saved. We do that because we are saved. You follow that? We do not do, I do not lay down my life, and of course, just like you, I'm constantly having to relay down my life. But I don't lay down my life to be saved. I lay it down because I am saved. And those that are saved, Will obey. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you're not his sheep, you don't follow him. Hey, you might hear the voice, but you don't really. It, it's just some other shepherd's voice. But, but the Lord warns Israel to take heed. Take heed. You know, when God says take heed, it doesn't mean it lightly. He means it very, very, very seriously take heed because this temptation is going to be off the charts great he's like you have no idea how much you'll be tempted by the nations that you're going to go see because you're going to be they have all this they have all this and they're getting away with it maybe we can too right don't be deceived, God's saying. Take heed, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, lest it be a snare in your midst. You know, Lot didn't intend to become like Sodom. He just was saying, Wow, they got it good over there. I'm stuck here with Abraham. Quotes Scripture constantly. Prays all the time. Tries to turn everything into a spiritual discussion. Always talking about God always talking about faith, always talking about that future homeland in heaven. And over there in Sodom they got everything, man. They got it all. Why am I wasting my time inviting people to harvest crusades and praying and worshiping when there's so much fun out there to be had? But you know what? I'm not going to make a covenant with Sodom. I'm just going to go pitch my tent in that direction not going to make a covenant that, i'm not that dumb you guys to take a heat because a snare is something you didn't expect to walk into right people generally walk around traps if you see a bear trap you know it could break your ankle you generally walk around it if it's covered by a pile of leaves it's too late right when you step into it it's a snare the very thing because you're looking you actually won't see the lamp is supposed to be a feet Light unto our what? Feet. But when you actually are looking down at your feet and the lamp is going this way, you can't step into a trap that God doesn't reveal. He'll reveal them. But if, you're, if your eyes are looking at the glistening city ahead, you'll step right into it. And the Lord is saying, be careful. You have my covenant, but you can exchange it for a lesser covenant, which actually is going to be disastrous. But you, when you go into the land, make sure that you keep my commandments. Jesus told us the same thing. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. When I get saved, not only do I need to keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus, but I need to instruct other people to keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus. To observe, it's a Hebrew word, shemar, means to keep or to guard, or to keep watch. I have to constantly keep watch in my life. And thankfully, the Lord is the one that really keeps watch. I say, Lord, shine the spotlight in. He'll show me. That's, that's out of whack. That's off center. That's too, too much of you. Make those changes on your knees before me. The Lord helps us keep watch. Now, there's the danger when we go, Israel's going to go into these hostile areas. Now, our brothers and sisters, think about hostility. Our brothers and sisters in Egypt that we prayed for prior to the service, and our brothers and sisters in Syria, generally speaking right now, they're not thinking about a brand new car and a promotion. They're thinking about being alive tomorrow. Do you see the difference? They're not thinking about what's on TV tonight. They're thinking about will we be alive tonight. Big, big difference. That's called hostility. Beware that God says when you go into the land, it's one thing for the hostility of the nations when they shoot their arrows at you. That's pretty terrifying. But beware of the more insidious, the danger of hospitality, where you're being welcomed by the world with open arms. We're not going to shoot arrows at you. Come over to our wine-flowing party here in Canaan. Those other Kate nations that attacked you, we're sorry about them. We invite you to come join us and let, let me introduce you, my, my son, to your daughter. Right? We'll, we'll make good friends with you. We'll take really good care of you. You need a really high-paying job? My husband owns the company. We'll take care of you. I yeah, know you've been trusting that God of yours too long. We'll bring you in. Being welcomed by the world's open arms is just as much an attack as the persecutions of the brothers and sisters in Iran, Syria, China, Egypt, North Korea, on and on. Jesus warned of both of them, though, didn't he? Didn't he? He warned of the persecution, the hostility, the genuine hostility that we do not experience yet in America today. The genuine hostility, I mean across the board, some people actually are experiencing it already in little pockets here and there. But the genuine hostility that we see in our brothers and sisters that are the persecuted church around the world, Jesus warned of that but He also warned of the other here. The swapping covenants, the I like what you have better than what Christ purchased for me so I think I'm going to cash in my chips and go back to the world. Jesus warned of both in the parable of the sower. He spoke of the persecution, but he also spoke to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, if you were to describe what the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches is in one word, it's this, pleasure. The deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world are all under the same heading, pleasure. Seekers of pleasure rather than seekers of God. God. We use the Scriptures to define exactly what God is saying in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. What is pleasure? It is to pursue or adopt the philosophy and the lifestyle of the world to feel fulfilled. And God says, don't find your fulfillment in what they have to offer. I'm going to destroy them, is what God said. I'm going to level them. Why would you want to join that? The parable that Jesus talked about, the parable of the sower, it's a picture of true and false conversion. True and false conversion. Those under the blood covenant of salvation through Christ versus those who can describe the covenant but have not become new creations or abandon Christ and forsaken the world. Those who can describe the covenant versus those who walk in it. That's a lot of people can describe the covenant James warns of this. You believe in God, so what? The demons do. They even believe and tremble. Most people don't tremble. Even believers, they don't have the fear of the Lord. So James is saying, that's not a big deal. The question is not that you can describe the covenant. The question is, are you in the covenant? Not that you... uh, And so God's saying, look you're going to have a lot of pull, a lot of temptation, a lot of road signs say, take a right here, take a left here, follow into this, find fulfillment here. And you're going to have to say no. And even beyond that, I'm going to ask you to fight against. God says, I'm going to have you fight against their idols, against this. That you're going to have to be a soldier of Christ in this world. James 4, 4 says, adulterers, and adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with god whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god you may not like the verse but it's still there right you may have forgotten the verse but it's still there you may say well i don't think it really means exactly that it means exactly that friendship with the world is at the heart level but then it's manifested in how we live it out, right? Long before Lot ended up in Sodom, his heart already wanted to be friends with the world. He did not, Abraham was called the friend of God. You know, Lot was actually saved. Sadly, the Bible t- tells us that he was tormented when he got there. He came to his senses, but by then he had ruined his whole family. Some of you may be saved and you may say, well, I know I am saved and I'm tempted by the but you may destroy the family before it's too late unless you keep the covenant with Jesus. He'll help you keep it. The children of Israel, they were to diligently remove the idolatrous influences by destroying the idols and the images of the inhabiting culture that they would go to. They were to diligently get rid of them all. The culture of the Canaanites had become so corrupt that they were beyond redemption not that they were beyond redemption for God but God sets understand this God sets a line in the sand for every person nation or culture you and I don't know when the line is you don't know when he finally topples the Roman empire when he finally topples Babylon when he finally topples Nineveh even after they had a revival later he did destroy Nineveh because Nineveh took their mercy and threw it out the window at a later date right America's had many mercy moments we've taken the mercy moments Toss them out the window. So at some point, God says, I will not redeem, I will judge. Everything else is grace and mercy. But at some point, God has said, I have drawn a line in the sand. I'm destroying these Canaanite nations. With or without you, I'm destroying these Canaanite nations. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either going with me or you're going to be with them. The question is, the option's yours. I'll keep my covenant with you, but if you decide you're going to go with them, then you will suffer the same fate because I'm going to destroy them and I would destroy you with them. That was the same, you know, Rahab had the same, when she was given the opportunity to be saved, she could either hang the scarlet and say, I'm with Israel, or she could say, I don't believe that, I'm not going to hang the scarlet. Of course, Jesus puts the scarlet of His blood and covers our heart, and we say, Lord, I stand with You, and that's a step of faith, and we stay there and uh, he'll never cast us out. or never let anyone pluck us out of his hand. But we also must choose to stay. And so Rahab says, I believe I stay. And she does not fall with the city. She's kept safe. She chooses to say no to their idolatrous way. She was a former prostitute. She said, no more can I live that way anymore. I must obey the Lord. God sets the end but we're to take down. Now, I don't worry about what God's going to do. Is this the end of this country? Is this the end of this family? Is this person ever going to get saved? I don't know about you, but you shouldn't spend any time. Leave that in the hands of God. You continue to reach out with love and grace until someone has their dying breath. Amen? Because God could save them on their deathbed. I don't I'm not in the hands of God, or I'm not in the place of God, I'm in the hands of God, but I'm not in the place of God to determine what is the end point for any, but I must still live out my life for Christ and we're to take down the idolatrous influences by disarming our enemy, not disarming people. You can't disarm people. And your, your battle's not against people. We, we saw that in Ephesians 6 Wednesday. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness. The person who says that they hate me, Jesus says to them, Father forgive them, they know not what they do. But Jesus does not forgive Satan, does He? At all. Because Satan's fate is sealed. So is the demonic realm. That's who we fight against. The people that are speaking like the devil, they might be saved next week praise the Lord. Paul was himself an example of this, where he did a 180. But we still, uh, when they go up there, they are told to break down the idols. And it's a little that we go after in our spiritual life, we go after the strongholds of the enemy through prayer. We're not attacking people. 2 Corinthians ten three through 5 it says, "...for though we walk in the flesh," We do not war in the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, uh, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I love what Ray Comfort says about his relationship with atheists. He says it's a love-hate relationship. I love them and they hate me. Right? That's mighty and pulling down strongholds. You and I have to love sinners. We're called to go into enemy territory and pull them out, as, according to Jude, saving them even as yet by fire, hating even the garments of their flesh. Why? Because the garments are filled with wicked. But we're pulling them out by the power of the Holy Spirit, doing marvels in the Lord's eyes. But we're not wanting to get too close to their garments because we don't want to grab and put the same garments on. Because even reaching the lost, you can get tempted by what they're doing. It's a careful thing. It's why even when you do counsel, especially things like marriage, it's good that you have a multitude of counselors. There's all Satan's insidious in many ways, isn't he? Wanting you to the very thing you're going to rescue someone from, you can get in yourself. But you're not going to have that If you're mighty in prayer and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you love sinners and you love the Lord and you understand who your enemy is and you know that He will bring every thought into captivity and keep you from straying away and observing to the point where you must have the things that the world has. God says, lest you make the covenant with them and play the harlot with them You make molded gods for yourself. Now remember, this has extra poignancy for Israel because they had just had the debacle of the golden calf, right? They knew exactly what God was talking about. Unless you make a molded, you remember molded image. Remember the one I ground into powder and I made you drink it. Remember 3,000 were killed by the sword. Know that my judgment is real. Do not be fooled. And I tell people, you know, a lot of the times we look at certain sin and we just look at it too lightly. Like I, I've, I've given this analogy before, but I'll give it again. No one in their right mind here would drink a glass of Clorox. Would you? You come to know, you don't need me, every time I, I, I come in your house, you don't need me to come and say, did you guys hide the Clorox? don't drink it. No matter what you do, do not drink Clorox. I know it looks good. even smells good from a distance. Don't drink it. You've never needed anyone to convince you to keep away from drinking a glass of Clorox. But tell the same person, hey, stay away from that kind of carnality and wickedness, and they'll say, it's no big deal. You're drinking a glass of Clorox. What do you mean it's no big deal? You're being, a trap is being set for you. You're drinking poison. That will destroy your spirit. That we continually have to remind ourselves and others. These are the idols that we have to hack them down. In our own life, we have to hack them down. Paul said he had to beat his body into what? Submission. Because he still, as godly as he was, could be lured away. Lewis Neely... Pastor's conference said, at 24 hours I could fall away. Not that the Lord would let go of him, but he could dive away, in a sense. John's closed, 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. New Testament message, same as the Old Testament. God's saying, be aware, be forewarned. Let's look at the last section of our text, taking time. Taking time. This is all about relationship. When you say no to one thing, it must be replaced by what? Something else. If I used to use my time for the world, God brings me into the family of God, I now must take and use my time for serving the Lord. If I used to spend my waking time focused on the things that satisfied me, I now must take my waking time and the things that satisfy the Lord, that satisfy His command, that satisfy His covenant relationship that He has given. And you have to remember, as far as taking time, uh, the time all belongs to God. Jesus tells us we were bought with a price. We are no longer our own. How many of you believe that, that you don't belong to you anymore? If that's really true, then if God says, I want you to stay after the service today, even though you didn't plan on it, would you do it? Or would you say, God, I made plans. But God, What if God says, I alter plans? Now be careful if you just say no to God enough times. He will alter your plans. He can do anything he wants. Car can stop working this week. You're trying to scare us? No, I'm just telling you, God controls it all. Is that true or not? Does God control it all? This is what he said about people who take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Many sleep and even die. Is that in the Bible? Who wrote it? Paul wrote it. Paul told the church, said, look, you must be careful. Don't think that you can live a life of half sin and half Christ. You take the Lord's Supper in that manner, you might not wake up. But no one preaches that. But yet Paul did write it to the church, and that's us. It's still there. God is saying, look, take heed, but also take the time to invest in this relationship. Jesus took the time, He took 33 years on the earth, three years of teaching, and a few days of just constant attacks, and finally several hours of intense torture, He took the time to invest in an eternal relationship with us. His response back to you is, now you belong to me, I set your agenda. Now, I know that a lot of that does against our flesh, because I, I have these conversations with the Lord in prayer. Lord, I would like to, and God says, I know what you'd like to do. The problem is you only see things from one perspective. When you get up here with me someday, you'll know why I said no to that and want you to do this. We all, the question is, will we believe him or will we believe ourselves? Right? And if we believe him, we'll invest in that time. You know, the uh uh, someone wrote this about time and said, if you had a bank credited to your account each morning with $86,000 that carried over no balance from day to day, allowed you to keep no cash in your account, and every evening cancel whatever part of the amount you failed to use during that day, what would you do? Draw it every, pa- uh, every dollar every day, of course, and use it to your advantage. Well, you have such a bank, and its name is Time. Every morning it credits you with 86,000 seconds. Every night it rules off as lost whatever uh, whatever you fail to invest in good purpose. It carries over no balances. It allows no overdrafts. Each day it opens with a new account with you. If you fail to use that day's deposit, the loss is yours. There's no going back. There's no drawing against tomorrow. Jesus tells us that we'll give an account of every single day. both non-believers and believers will give an account of every single thing and God says to Israel here's how I want you to use your time you notice God doesn't give us just kind of a hey now that you're saved you don't have a clue what to do I hope you figure it out he says here's how I want you to use your time read Acts chapter 1 2 and 3 see how the early church was using their time investing in the word together fellowshipping together reaching out to people with the gospel, which is very little. How, how many people really reach out with the gospel? Greg Laurie was talking about, oh, what is it, like 95% of people have never led someone to Christ? Ever? Isn't that sad? It's our great commission. It's the least commission among the body of Christ. It's the lowest of low priorities among the body of Christ. Amen? It's the lowest of low. Prayer is, a, is right out with it, especially gathering together to pray. I don't need a corporate pray. I can do that in my car. Do you? Well, not really, but I could. Right? But I could do it. That's the thing. A lot of people will throw out things they could do, not things that they actually are doing, things they could do. And so the Lord gives the children of Israel, says, here's the thing, I want you to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened meant no sin. I want you to observe and stay in a holy relationship. You can't have a prayer life with sin, folks. Can't ascend to the hill of the Most High with sin. So, the unleavened bread, you must keep the unleavened bread. It's a sign of purity. Uh, opening the womb, the firstborn, the first of everything belongs to God. Your first fruits of time, talent, and treasure belong to the Lord. Yes, God deserves more. Your prioritization of time first belongs to Him, not leisure not travel, not all those other things, not that those things are wrong. I was encouraged that Jesus told the disciples uh, in, in the book of Mark when they were very weary, He said, take a little time to take away and rest by yourselves. It's okay to go take a vacation. It's okay to take a time of retreat, provided that deep within you, you know the reason you're doing it is to be refreshed to come back and serve even stronger for the Lord. That is not the intent of many people. I'm going to take a vacation in September, I can tell you. I'll enjoy the time to take away for a week with my family. But when I go, I really do want to come back even more refreshed to serve Christ. Not, oh man, I wish I could stay there for five weeks. Right? It's okay to take a little time away, but come back and re-engage. It's like telling the coach, I need to get off the field for just a short breather. Get some oxygen, get some water in you, say I'm ready to go back out. Right? That's our walk with Christ. But we have to serve our time with Him. Six days you shall work. The seventh day rest. I know that that is not the calendar of the modern age. If anything, people... Man, I wish I could get away with three days work and a four-day weekend. One of those days you'll go to church, right? No, I don't believe in that. I mean, if I just want a four-day weekend. Everyone's working for the weekend, right? That's what the whole thing's about. God says, no, if you are working for the weekend, you'll be working for sin. Because you'll find idols, you'll build idols, you'll make things really unimportant, really big and important. You'll make hunting season more important than the Lord. You'll make vacation, you'll make your hobbies, all of those things. God says they'll be like the idols of the old ancient times, they'll have different names. Observe the first, uh, observe the feast of weeks and the feast of harvest and the feast of ingathering. Three times you shall have all your men come before the Lord. We'll get back to that in one second. But God wants to... You see, God is setting Israel's time agenda, not the other way. Israel says, all right, here's the deal. We're going to go with you. We're going to obey you. We're going to believe in you. We've put a schedule together, God. Please stamp approved. God says, no, 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 no. back up. Remember where the covenant starts with me, right? I drive out the enemies, right? You stay away from idols, and you stay in the covenant with my son here's your agenda. Not the other way around. Not say, God, I put the agenda together. I just want you to... You ever had someone come to the boss, they, they think they're going to get an easy write-off, they hit the boss, hey, I want you to sign off on this. The boss looks at it and says, we can't afford this. Who, who approved? I'm not approving this. That's what God does with us. He looks at our schedule and says, I'm not approving this. Well, then I'm going to do it anyway. Well, then maybe you don't work for me. Right? Maybe you're not in this family. I'm not saying that. But God will say, examine yourself. Paul wrote it. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Paul, how dare you say, examine yourself, see in your faith? Paul said, I didn't say it. The Holy Spirit said it. I just wrote it. It's important that we look at the time that God wants us to spend, not not our time. This is Time Magazine. This uh, This was in July. This Time magazine, see this big, it's got a human head. It's even called Time. We're talking about time and it's called Time, right? It's been around for a long time. I won't say time anymore. I'll try not to say it. But inside the head, it's got all these different things. It shows our, you know, way back in American time with the early phone, and it shows like a smartphone with LOL and it's got little pills with happy faces on the pills and it's got a search engine find happiness and it's got uh, friends, zero, followers, zero, people that you know get all bummed out when they don 't get a like on Facebook and all that kind of stuff, and it 's got all these different things that make people happy and it 's called the pursuit of happiness, even time an un, a worldly publication looks at the American person and says they are constantly craving happiness, but you know the Bible never says to pursue happiness, it says to pursue the Lord I, well it says life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's not a Bible verse, (laughs) folks. That's not in the Bible. And if that's your credo, you've got a serious problem. The pursuit of happiness, there's actually some, it doesn't say everything in here is bad. I mean, some of the things that people pursue turn out to be okay, but a lot of them are quite destructive. Shocking, huh? That the pursuit of happiness can become uh, not so happy after all, see Israel's time it belonged to God, and may the totality of your life and mine, as short of vapor as it is, right? May it be an investment of our relationship with the One who bought and redeemed us. That's what God wants to, to use our time for. Richard L. Evans says, "The tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. We wait so, and this is especially true of people." Who are born again if you're here and you're born again what are you waiting for what are you waiting for we've been saved we've been given access to the very throne of god to walk with him to talk with him and to follow him and we're looking on longingly at the idols of the canaanites and i wish we had what they have what no peace no eternal life no real direction No real fulfillment? I mean, Time Magazine's telling, they've they've pursued it all and they're still not happy a lot of times. And some of them have a temporary high and think they are, but what happens when you get closer to taking that last breath? They realize, what was I doing? He wants us to fully take up our cross and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So many believers, they know a lot of Bible. They know a lot of doctrine. They know a lot about Christianity, but they do not know about walking in Christ. They know stuff, but do they know Him? That's why KP says all the time, a lot of Christians love their Bible, they just don't love Jesus. Right? Love their Bible, not the Lord. The time, we don't want to do the things i it's like, man, I I make sure I go to church because I know that God tells me that's something I need to do. That's like Feast of Unleavened Bread for me. I go to church. And I do this because I make sure God wants to do it. No, you don't do those things because you have to do it. You do those because you get to, because you're in relationship. Man, I got to spend time with my wife. Can't believe it. (laughs) I guess I better invest in it though. Gracious, sir, and fun. Or I get to spend time with my wife. She's my best friend. See the difference? I get to serve the Lord. I get to invite people to harvest. I get to serve alongside Greg and Billy Graham, even though I haven't accomplished anywhere near what they've accomplished. I get to just serve with them. Oh, i got to go serve with those two spiritual giants. See the difference? See, the heart is where it's at. Uh, Many people, they don't spend time with Christ. They don't give themselves to Christ. They're not submitted to Christ. And maybe, like Israel, they... They're good at keeping, observing the big commandments, the big ones, the big ones. There's a lot of people. I keep the big commandments I've no murder, no adultery. I go to church three out of four Sundays. I keep the big ones. It's that the rich young ruler tried to convince Jesus. Hey, have you done, I've done all these since my youth. Jesus, said, let's look at the biggest. How much do you love God? Did you have to go there? I don't love it more than that beautiful house I have. I don't love it more than the stuff I have. I don't love it more than all those things. I I was just thinking you would have a little a little easy add-on for me to make sure that I'm in. And Jesus said, No, no, no. Take everything, sell it, and follow me. 2 Timothy 3:5 talks about this. It's called having a form of godliness, but denying the power, resisting the power of the Holy Spirit, not wanting the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way in Mark 7:6: "This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart's far from me. They have a form of it." Mark Twain said this. He said, "A businessman, well known for his ruthlessness, once announced to the writer Mark Twain, "Before I die, I mean to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I'm going to climb Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top." Mark Twain replied, who was not a believer, by the way. Mark Twain was not a Christian. Purposely said, I'm not a a believer. But he said this to this guy who claimed to want to go to stand on top of the Mount Sinai and read the commandments. Mark Twain said, I have a better idea. You could stay in Boston and observe them. Right? Even the world knows what your real relationship with Jesus is, folks. You would be surprised if you don't really love the Lord. And if you go to church, but if you don't love the Lord, people will know. And they'll resist the true gospel because they think you don't believe in it either. We must believe in it, walk in it, live in it. I saw this week that... uh, uh, I'll come to a close here. But I saw this week... You know that show Duck Dynasty? I saw this week that it set a massive record. I've read a couple of different articles. I'm on Twitter, i got these articles, and and i read them, and it's pretty interesting that this show becomes, in one night, the season premiere, I think it was Wednesday night, right? Was it Wednesday night? Wednesday night, I believe, was the season premiere. It became the most-watched reality TV show, which is an oxymoron if you've ever watched any reality TV show, because the farthest thing they are is from reality. It's all staged and everything else. Now, the good news is, I actually think Duck Dynasty is funny. I do. I actually think it's funny. I think it's a funny show. The good news is it presents a Christian family. It doesn't have all the filth that's rampant in nearly every other show. It's proven to be a success for the producers that hey, some something healthy can still be uh, liked in this country. But this, despite the fact that the pressure on every other show is to make it so filthy that it carries the culture even further down the cesspool as fast as possible, right? So that's the good news. I think it's funny. I think it is wholesome. But it's not all good news, I don't think. The bad news is I have no doubt, no doubt in my mind, that many, and I mean many, and I mean hundreds of thousands of Christians throughout the U.S. would make time for something like Duck Dynasty, but would not make time for a midweek service, would not make time for a prayer meeting, would not make time to go share the gospel. How do I know? Because I've observed it for 17, 18 years now. And these are the people that are supposedly the followers of Christ. They actually think, because it's a Christian show, it actually is on par with things that Jesus has command. It's not. It's not on par. It's not wrong, but it's way, it's, it's so, this is the thing that, uh, that many people would make something that unimportant. And believe me, it is very, if you ever watch the show, it's funny, there's nothing important on the show, hardly. <laughs> it is the most ridiculous discussions and I, and I crack up. It's like watching Tim Hawkins. I can only watch a certain amount of that before the snap back to reality comes to back. The Lord says, all right, that's enough. Enough of la-la land. Life isn't lived that way. <laughs> Thank goodness it's only a half-hour show. And I would tell them that. I, I, I love the guy. I think, again, again, wholesome, clean. I'd be the first to tell the rod. And I, I believe the father would probably agree with me. He'd say, I, I agree. By the way, uh, Phil Robertson's going to be on stage with Greg Laurie at the Harvest Crusade speaking. So when you come, you know, Greg thinks it's funny too. But again, these are the things. What is important versus what's not important? It's okay to watch it. I like to watch football. But if that's what I watch 24-7 and I need the dish network so I can get every single game, and it, where does it end? Right? And so the Lord's saying, I want you to govern your time by doing the things that I want you to do. Go serve. Go to, a prayer, go to evangelism at Bon Air or the homeless outreach that, that our folks go to. Take your time and your talent and treasure and invest in the kingdom of God. Use your time to do what I have prescribed in my word, not what you want to do. The late Adrian Rogers said, "...the biggest cult is the cult of the comfortable." He was speaking to the church, Pastor Bellevue Baptist there in Memphis. The biggest cult is the cult of the comfortable, and that's so true in the church. I'm going to close with uh, this verse. You know it well, Joshua 24:15. And if it seems re- evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father serves on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice. I got to meditate on that last couple of days. The Lord just popped it in my head. It wasn't in my note. Notice Joshua says something incredibly key in that. It's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He does not say it's for me and my house, we will acknowledge that God is true. He does not say it's for me and my house, we'll be the ones that go to church. He does not say it's for me and my house, we will claim and believe. If you say yes, we say amen. He says we're going to serve the Lord. Now serving the Lord is removing other things that are you cur- because he said, he actually juxtaposes the two. He says you can either serve the other idols, which take your time, talent, and treasure, or you can serve the Lord, which takes your time, talent, and treasure. But you, he's not saying I'm just acknowledging the Lord. A lot of believers don't serve the Lord. Don't serve, I mean really, genuinely, looking at yourself in the mirror of God's Word and say, do I really serve the Lord? Serve Him. Am I in that covenant relationship and thank the Lord that He's the one that will help us? I'm not talking about pulling yourself by your bootstraps and saying, I will from this day forward, I'm going to serve the Lord. No, no. no. He's the one that keeps it. That's why my favorite, it's my life first. I love it. 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I believed in and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. The reason why many have no investment in the covenant relationship is they've not committed to it. Once they do, God will help them say, Lord, I'm not going to make unimportant things more important than you. I'm going to let unimportant things be way down the list, and they can be just you know, a time of the Lord gives you, a, a, he, he will allow you to have some time of things that are, you say, alright, that's unimportant, but I'll allow you to invest a little bit but not much it's like me telling my kid you can have 2 oreos but you can't have 30 it's easy to eat 30 oreos but it's not good right and that's what the lord but the church the mother of the church is eating 30 oreos and nothing spiritual no investment in those things and that's why the lord says i'll sanctify it but you must consecrate to it amen let's close in prayer